0: Hey guys, Reed Goosens here. Now, before we dive into today's show, I quickly wanna tell you about some exciting things happening in 2018. Now, in a few months time, I will be launching my brand spanking new book, appropriately titled, Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And it is all the best bits from this show transformed into a book. Now. As you are all loyal listeners on this show, we are doing a pre-launch book giveaway. So, what you have to do in order to participate in this pre-launch book giveaway is just shoot me an email. It's pretty simple. At info, that's I-N-F-O at readgoosens.com. And in the subject line, you can put the words Kraken book. And in return, I will shoot you back a link where you can go and pre-order your copy of my new book. Now, remember, in that link, there will be an area where you can put the code Kraken, C-R-A-C-K-I-N, and that will enable you to get a discount. I wanna thank you all for tuning in. The reason why I do this show is because of my loyal listeners, and this is a way of me giving back to you guys by helping you. you can pre-order the book and get it for free before we launch in a couple of months' time. All right, now back into the show.
1: I found that the uh, highly successful real estate investors have several habits in common. They, but one of them is they have a very simple approach to analyzing commercial real estate opportunities. Each investor has his own methods of analyzing a deal. But surprisingly, most have a relatively simple set of parameters that they use as their guidelines for making their go, no-go decisions for purchasing commercial real estate. Rarely do they employ the sophisticated methods of evaluation, uh, such as, you know, uh, net present value of discounted cash flows or internal rates of return. Some do, but the vast majority do not.
0: Welcome to Investing in the US, an Aussie's guide to US real estate a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at ReadGosons. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to readgoosons.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. Alright, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today, in the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Doug Marshall. Doug is a veteran real estate professional of nearly 40 years, and more than 30 of those years were spent financing apartments and commercial real estate. For the past decade, he has also been invested in several rental properties. He is currently the author of a new release, Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing, How to Successfully Build Wealth and Grow Passive Income from Your Rental Properties. Doug's book is for all those investors who one day want to quit their job and devote their energies exclusively to creating financial freedom and growing their real estate portfolio. I'm really pumped to have him on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Doug. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate?
1: Well, I'm doing extremely well. And I, I appreciate the opportunity Reed, for uh, getting the opportunity to, to, to talk to your audience today.
0: Oh, mate, it, would be, it was really incredible to read a bit of your bio before we jumped online here. But um, I want to rewind the clock and let's you know, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of commercial real estate and what you do and what makes you tick. But let's rewind the clock way back, way, way back to when you made your first ever dollar. What did you do as a kid for, for pocket change?
1: Well, I, I think back, I, I hate to think how many lawns that I mowed <laughs> when I was a kid, but I, I, I did a lot of lawn mowing. I also uh, was a, uh, a paper boy for years. And I, uh, during the summer, I'd like to sell uh, cherries off my tree in the yard. We had this huge uh, cherry tree and I went door to door selling uh, these cherries. So those are a few of the things that I did growing up to make money.
0: Whatever, whatever it took, right, to get a bit of extra pocket change. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, Doug, walk me through you know, your background, your experience, and I'm sure there's a life before real estate. What, what, what is that? And, and let's tease out some of that before, and then what made you get involved in the real estate space um, so many years ago, 40 years ago?
1: Well, I, I graduated uh, from the University of Oregon in 1977, and I had a, a master's master's degree in business administration. And I uh, was able to work for a forest products firm for the first three years of my my career. And then uh, they had a downturn in the market and I was unemployed and I was picked up by a commercial real estate uh, investment uh, company, a developer actually. So I started my first years in, in commercial real estate on the development side. And uh, after a few years doing that, they moved me to property management. I was a property manager for about uh, seven hundred units in the uh, uh, Atlanta and Nashville areas of uh, the southeast and then uh, since nineteen eighty seven I've been exclusively on the financing side of the business so from from that's my kind of a nutshell of my commercial state my entrepreneurial journey began when I started my own commercial mortgage brokerage firm, Marshall Commercial Funding in 2003. And when I do, I just help investors get the best possible financing for their rental property so they can realize a better return on their investments. And in about uh, 2007, I I began investing in commercial real estate. So that's kind of a nutshell about my real estate background.
0: That's incredible. And what made you get involved in the commercial side of it, particularly on the lending side, because, you know, people like to just, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of cycles in, in your, your vast experience. So what was it that made you say, okay, I don't want to get involved straight away in investing, I want to help on the lending side? Well, I wish I
1: say side. I had some some real plan, right? what I wanted to do with my life. I was just like every other college student coming out of college, not really knowing what to, what to, to get involved in. And uh, it wasn't until I, I got uh, to a, a company called Groupie, the Groupie Company in uh, uh, Stockton, California, that I, I got my first experience with commercial real estate. And I liked it, I enjoyed it a lot. And I had that opportunity with my MBA to get on the, on the, uh, the number side of the business. And that naturally gravitated me towards the financing. Right. It's, it's, it,
0: and it's so interesting to then go and create your own entrepreneur business out of that is, is another thing that, you know, the, the natural path for a lot of people, particularly when they come to the United States and want to invest here is I need to be the investor first. And then I'll worry about financing later. But for you to go out and create the financing um, first as a, as a profitable business, then get involved in investing. I think that's that's a really... Unique way, and I guess it comes from your exposure to the different parts of the the, the game, you know, having so much experience in in real estate development, um, ground up construction. But I think that's really, really fascinating. Um, I do want to get into the nuts and bolts of why we've got you on today's show, and that's, you know, to do with focused on your new book that's coming up. Um, But let's maybe just whittle down for those people out there. You know, we'll start at the beginning. You know, what defines Commercial real estate here in the United States, and, and what are you solely focused on when you say commercial real estate? Because that can mean a number of facets when it comes to investing.
1: Uh, it certainly does, and I have a, a fairly broad uh, definition of commercial real estate. You know, I, you know, if you looked up the definition of, you know, in uh, Webster, probably would say something like, it's property consisting of land and the buildings on it, and my definition really is commercial real estate is any investor owned income producing property. So it could be under my definition, it could be a single family rental home, but most of the time it is uh, something like multi-story apartments or retail office industrial, you know, you can name the property type, but it doesn't include your personal residence. It doesn't include undeveloped land and it doesn't include owner occupied properties because The focus is not on uh, generating cash flow on an owner-occupied property. It's your your focus is on the business. So I I don't do any um, owner-occupied financing uh, personally. So my definition of commercial real estate really is um, investor-owned income-producing
0: property. Got it, got it. No, it's, it's good just to define that show off the bat before we get into it. So, you know, some of the questions that you, you sent along to me earlier in, in the piece was, you know, why is buying commercial real estate? And I've talked about, a lot about it on this show, is why is it buying than owning any other investment? You know, why is commercial better than uh, anything else? Yes.
1: Well, I have a, a real bias uh, towards that. Um, but it, it really involves um, there are seven reasons that I, in the book that I talk about why owning commercial real estate is better than owning any other type of investment. And really, let me just focus on two. I, I don't have all day here, so <laughs> let me focus on the two that I think might be the most interesting. Sure. Uh, real estate investors have considerable influence on the outcome of their investments, where if you own any other type of property or type of asset, uh, stocks, bonds, land, whatever, uh, you really don't have much influence on the, on the, the outcome. But you, with commercial real estate, you can make capital improvements to tired properties. You can change management for those properties that are poorly managed. And you can retenant properties with better quality and higher paying tenants. You know, as an owner of any other type of investment, you're a, a passive investor. You have no influence on
0: the investment of your,
1: uh, or value of your investment.
0: No, I think that's you've you've, that's exactly right, right? Is why we invest in commercial real estate is because you have the power of being in control of your investments. Like if I go and put my money in stocks, right? I'm just sort of giving it away to whoever that person is and saying blindly, going, okay, please, hopefully my money will go up. But like
1: (laughs) exactly, and not only that, but if you think about what happened in two thousand eight when the stock market crashed. I, I, was, I owned a, a Apple stock at that particular point in time and the value of my Apple stock went down a third overnight. You know, and there was nothing wrong with Apple, but the entire market went down. And so I was affected even though I had a, a quality stock. And so the, the first reason, and I think it's a really important one, is that we can do something about improving the quality of our investment. We can make it a, a better investment over time. The second one, I think, is a reason why I think owning uh, commercial real estate is better than any other property type. It's we've all seen those TV commercials where people are asked how much money they think they need to save over, over their lifetime in order to retire comfortably. And they, they respond, you know, with a shrug of the shoulders and a bewildered look uh, beats me, you know. And, and truly, if you, your investments are in stocks or bonds or land or precious metals, that's an honest response you have no idea if you will eventually run out of money during your retirement years, but not so with commercial real estate. You know, By answering three basic questions that I go through in the book, you can know without any doubt whether you've, you've saved enough money to retire comfortably. Uh, you know, In other words, you can live to be 120 and you never have to worry about whether you run out of money. And the answer to that is it's all about living off the cash flow that's generated from your from your commercial real estate investments instead of slowly liquidating your stocks or bond portfolio. So that's another, I think, a very important reason why you should be investing in commercial real estate
0: no, I think that the first two I just want to summarize from what you said is the first one is controlling the investment right that's the whole point of why you get involved in real estate investing and the second one is cash flow to set you up for retirement right or set you up in a way that you're not having to liquidate your, your savings or whatever it might be in order to live off that nest egg as they, as they say exactly. um, so, so, so Doug quickly do you want to summarize the, the other five steps because I'd love to get I'd love to I'd love to round out the whole thing. <laughs>
1: Well, I I would tell you to go to the book.
0: Okay. Got uh, the
1: on. other uh, uh, read the other five are not quite as sexy as the first two, <laughs> but they are and, and they're better better well known as well. But I think those are the two the crux of the of the the two um, uh, positive reasons why you should be investing in commercial real estate.
0: No, I completely, I completely agree um, one of the other questions I wanted to get into given you all your experience with real estate investing you've seen it from the lending side you've seen it from obviously being an investor yourself um, what advice can you give uh, or what habits have you seen uh, that for sex uh, for successful real estate investors in the commercial space
1: well I think the, the over the many many years i've had dozens of clients that have been successful high net worth individuals. And I've been able to see what they do and what they don't do. And so the advantage of this particular book, uh, and I know I'm biased, but I I think it's because I can see uh, uh, and put together over a a period of 30 years what what successful real estate investors do. And uh, it's not just one person's uh, perspective of uh, how to make uh, it, you know, how to do well in commercial real estate. And I think the second thing about the book that might uh, be uh, different than what would normally uh, see in a book like this, you know, there's hundreds of books out there on commercial real estate investing. It's, you know, the reason why this book, in my opinion, is different is because of being able to kind of do that compilation of the wisdom i've learned from my my clients over the years i kind of equate uh, wisdom with scar tissue you know and i have plenty of scar tissue and i've seen the scar tissue that these other uh these other investors i've dealt uh, i've worked with over the years they, they don't always make the right uh, uh, decisions and many times they have to learn through their mistakes uh, but the second reason is is that this is one of the few books that I'm aware of on commercial real estate investing from the perspective of someone whose career has been financing commercial real estate. You know, almost all the other books are from the investor's perspective. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I believe to be successful in real estate, you really need to understand backwards and forwards the impact of financing has on the, the success or failure of your rental properties. So in the book I'll be talking about how do you, how do you prepare a professionally looking loan package that will get the lender's attention or how to get lenders uh competing with one another to get your business or what what things you need to do to make your property lender friendly those are just kind of a you know a few questions that are in the book that even some seasoned real estate investors um may not know and and that's why I think the there's the the book has a is is unique uh, when compared to other books on the same topic.
0: Oh, I think I think it's in tr- incredibly important for people to go out and get their hands on a copy of the book, and we'll give all those links at the end of the show. Um, but what would be the number one successful habit you've seen in your vast thirty years of experience to make a successful real estate investor, commercial real estate investor, I should say?
1: Well, you know that's a good question. I and I let me give you two. Okay, um, because two they're kind of they're kind of related. Um, I have found that the uh, highly successful real estate investors have several habits in common. They, but one of them is they have a very simple approach to analyzing commercial real estate opportunities. Each investor has his own methods of analyzing a deal, but surprisingly most have a relatively simple set of parameters that they use as their guidelines for making their go no go decisions for purchasing commercial real estate rarely do they employ the sophisticated methods of evaluation uh, such as you know uh, net present value of discounted cash flows or internal rates of return some do but the vast majority do not so i'm i'm surprised at that they really almost do it on the back of a napkin not quite that much but uh, it's it's much simpler than most people think and the and the second one goes hand in hand with it is they have a big picture approach to investing. They don't get caught up in the minutia of the deal. Rather, they step back and look at it at the big picture, um, you know, from a 30,000 foot view in in order to effectively make the right decision. And in many ways, their decision making is much more an art than a science. Uh, And that's the reason why I called the book Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing. And because it's it's a little bit simpler, uh, and it's a little bit more intuitive, uh, they're able to pull the trigger much faster than those who overanalyze their opportunities. So a couple of them are, they have a simple approach to analyzing commercial real estate opportunities, and they use a big picture approach to investing.
0: I I love that with the big picture approach. I've been surrounded by many mentors, hugely wealthy and developers myself um, over the years. And... One thing that someone I, I learned from one of my mentors back in the day was you know, if you have time on your hands and you have that 30,000 foot vision, you're going to make money in real estate. And and, and it's about you, you obviously, there's mamushes of lending and how you have cash flow and how you support the, the mortgage over the period of time. But right. if you go into that with knowing that, okay, I know I've got a big vision for this, particularly in commercial real estate, I'm talking, you know, apartments or, or, you know, larger assets, sure. um, you, you can really affect the way a surrounding neighborhood can, can over, be, be, you know, transition over time. If you're the sort of leading asset in that, in that neighborhood that, that is transitioning and trying to attract that better tenant. So it's, it's an interesting way that, and it goes back to what your, your number one thing that you said before, which was you have control. Right? You have control yeah. over your asset and what you do with it and how you affect the surrounding community, their overall values, and we can go on this forever. I think that's, that's really important. And then also maintaining a simple approach to underwriting a deal. You're right, there's so many complicated ways in which you can underwrite commercial real estate. Um, I, I, I do pride myself in underwriting it quite well, but you do have to break it down to the nuts and bolts. Are you buying it at a good price? And are you going to make money when you sell it? That's really what you gotta, You got to, and are you going to cash flow in between? Hopefully, those, you can answer those questions with, with a yes. Um, but I, an interesting point that you brought up before, Doug, on the lending side of it, you know, given how, how hot the market is on commercial, and, I, and I'm talking multifamily, and from a lending perspective, how are you, or how, what advice do you give to someone out there looking at commercial assets these days, particularly in 2018, given how com- cap rates are very compressed across a vast array of assets? From a lending perspective, what do you try to encourage your borrowers to do to make sure they're not getting too far out of the, over their skis? I,
1: I really believe that the number one problem, uh, potential problem for any investor is over leveraging their properties. I look back on uh, the Great Recession and um, living through that was really hard. It was really difficult and painful. And I saw a lot of people who had over leveraged their properties. They'd taken cash out and they kind of used them as a, an ATM machine uh, to invest or to take that money and do whatever they wanted to do with it. And then when uh, vacancies rose, they weren't able to to uh, either refinance the property with the amount of debt that was currently on the property. And in some cases, in the most egregious cases, they, they were no longer cash flowing because the vacancy was now 20 or 25 or 30%. That happened in retail, in some office, it didn't happen in apartments. I think the worst that I saw was maybe a 10% vacancy in apartments and generally apartments fared fairly well. But uh, you You just have to be very careful in not over leveraging your properties.
0: Are you got any advice? I know personally on my own assets, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into a lot of agency debt straight off the bat, you know, long-term terms on the, on the property, low leverage, uh, fixed rate because of the uncertainty of where we are. Any advice around those sort of aspects, you know, agency versus, you know, um, bridge lending at, at this point in the cycle?
1: Well, we right now, I believe uh, the, the real estate cycle had uh, peaked. And I think it peaked, I, I think for apartments, I think it it peaked in the summer of 2016. And I think for every other property type, I think it peaked sometime last year. So we're still in that, um, we're, we're out of the euphoric stage that we were in for so very, very long. And now we're in that, uh, you know, there's beginning to, Foam a little bit of concern of what's going on in the in the market, in the Portland market where I'm at, Portland, Oregon. Uh, the market is still very good; it's still very strong. But the rental increases that that uh, we were getting uh, were like in the 15% or better range for two or three years, and now it's more like uh, 5%. That would be my guess. And yeah, and that's it's, it's exciting, uh, especially when you own com- uh, commercial real estate to see that. Uh, it was, and it truly, there was a reason to be euphoric. Uh, it was uh, like you were hearing Happy Days Are Here Again in the background playing. Um, but um, I believe that uh, going forward, you just have to be much more cautious in uh, how you uh, finance your properties. And uh, you were talking about agency debt. Well, I think agency debt works uh, like for apartments on a um, uh, in in many cases. Um, but the biggest problem, as you know, is that they have yield maintenance as a prepayment penalty. And a lot of investors that I deal with, I have to just beat it into them that, yes, you get this really good interest rate uh, and you get a 10-year fixed rate loan if you want, but you have to understand that you're not going to be able to pay off this loan until it comes due. Because the prepayment penalty will be excessive. It's onerous. And as long as you are certain that you're going to keep the property over the, the next 10 years, that's fine. But if not, then I, I encourage you not to, to go that route. And, and I deal on the financing side. Um, my average deal size right now is a little over 5 million, or 5 to 6 million. And I go from really from 10, uh, from 2 to 10 on average. And um, in the Pacific Northwest, I can say that the the banks are very aggressive on rates and terms with a step down prepay, and so in many instances, I you know I will I get three or four quotes or more for my for my clients, but I, I show them a side by side comparison so they can take a look and see what the advantages and disadvantages of going with a uh, uh, a let's say a Fannie or a Freddie Mac Freddie Mac a quote versus a bank lender, and the other thing that's really been interesting in the last two or three years, really surprising to me, and I don't know the the dynamics as to why it's happening, but the credit unions all of a sudden have become very aggressive, and uh, you know, two or three or four years ago they were like the weak sister in the group, and and now they can they can take a deal from uh, from the banks, and and they can they have very good rates and terms. It's Surprisingly so. So I think what's happened with maybe with Dodd-Frank, maybe that's uh, causing the banks some some heartburn and they have to be a little bit more conservative, where the credit unions aren't under the same guidelines. I'm just guessing. I I don't know this for a fact. And because of that, they can be more aggressive uh, with their rates and terms. So there's a lot of different opportunities out there. It's not just the the agencies and it's, and I life companies are not particularly uh, aggressive when it comes to uh, financing for apartments, they are for other property types, but sometimes they, they give you much uh, shorter amortization. So it's like, why am I going this way?
0: Right, right. Well, it's, you know, there's all this whole push and pull of, you know, one of the biggest things that I noticed when I first moved to the United States was non-recourse commercial debt, like that is, crazy like in australia that does not exist and and so america like i've always thought when i first moved here low barriers to entry fantastic numerous like numerous um streams of sourcing for funds which makes which defines the us outside of other western countries like you compare it to australia where they've got the four big banks uh, or, or england or even some parts of europe you just don't have the levels of financing um the agency backed financing is really attractive the fixed terms um, and, and, and that's why I see in this you know in, in particularly this podcast investing in the US, there's a lot of international capital coming into the into the Americas or particularly into the United States because of the lending environment here. Now but that hang on, but that I mean, ask the next question with this lending environment and with we are you know as you're saying about the peaks and the trots, what does that make you concerned at all how aggressive lending is right now? Is there any sort of canary in the coal mine that we need to be looking out for that that, that could be, you know, giving us some pause with commercial lending and commercial in general over the next, say, five years. Now, I need to ask you a question. (laughs) Yeah, sure.
1: So, were you here
0: back in 2007? I moved here in 2012. So, no, I wasn't. But I was in in You
1: don't have the perspective. (laughs) I'll tell you, um, the lenders today um, are much more conservative than they were back in two in the early two thousands, uh, and there were s- certain abuses that they did back then. Uh, they were too aggressive. Uh, some sometimes they there were ten uh, uh, year interest only loans, and there were eighty percent financing was not uncommon, and they did a, a variety of other things that today they're not doing. So um, what I see personally is that they have they have calmed down a bit, uh, compared to where they were 10 years ago. And, and I, and I don't have any, I, I think that th- everything that they've done has been an improvement. It really has. I think the chances of having one of those crashes because of uh, uh, cr- uh these silly, stupid, uh, uh, financing terms, I think is going is remote. I just don't see it happening like it happened back in the Great Recession.
0: Right. So fundamentally, you're saying that the um, the same underlying fundamentals that caused the 2008 recession for, through through shoddy lending and really aggressive terms is actually where where we're at the other towards the other end of the spectrum right now and sitting in 2018.
1: Well, I don't I don't know if we're at the other end of the spectrum, but the if you could think of the pendulum is now swung to the middle. Got so it. That we're, yeah. we're not uh you know we could be more aggressive but we could be far more conservative too i I could see that happening but i really think that uh, uh, i would commend the 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 uh, real estate lending uh environment right now i think it is is solid i i'm i'm pleased with what i see and yeah there are, there are, there are lenders out there occasionally they'll 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 do the blue light special and something will happen. But it's, it's temporary. It isn't uh, as egregious as it was back you know, prior to the Great Recession.
0: So, Doug, I want to I get your quick advice here. You know, looking at treasuries just recently, I'm going to get really, really technical right now. They've been, they've been hit, the 10 years been going quite high. Do you think in your mind that we're going to talk ourselves into a recession or there's going to be a gunshot and the crowd spooks? Um, given in commercial real estate, you know, I'm, I'm just going to throw out some examples here. The big box retailers, particularly in the retail space has been struggling. Do you see that as, uh, I, I, back to my, my comment before, a canary in the coal mine, or do you see it as an opportunity to, um, be, you know, advancing on, on certain type of retail space or certain type of commercial assets in order to make, you know, make money, right? Because we're all trying to look for that next, the next dollar.
1: Yeah. And that's a good question. You you think of the big boxes and how they're being affected by online shopping today. And it is, it's huge. Uh, I I've been buying most of my clothing uh, and a lot of uh, personal goods online. It's just convenient. And um, I can imagine how that's going to affect uh, the big box re- retailers. And you might be right. It could be that there, there could be some disruption as a result of that. The, the the concern I have right now, uh, generally though, is that we've seen uh, interest rates rise, and it's what we think it's gone up about a full point in right. the last year or so. I think so. Yeah, that's about right. Pretty close to that, and uh, inevitably, uh, cap rates have to rise with it. It just has to, you can, uh, you know, because you want to get a certain rate of return on your investment. Well, you're not going to get it. If your, your interest on your, on your debt now is a, is a full point higher. And so at some point in time there, I haven't seen it yet, uh, but at some point in time, investors are going to say, no, I'm not going to invest in this property at this price uh, because that cap rate is the cap rate. It should have been a year ago. And it, and it is. And today it's just overpriced. And I'm waiting to see when that happens. I have not seen that yet in the market, but it's got to happen. It's just, it's a matter of, you know, law of supply and demand and and just logic that tells you that at some point, buyers are gonna stop buying at the prices that are being offered. And then we're gonna have this big pause. And the question will be, how does that reset happen? And I I can't figure out how that's gonna happen, but it's inevitable.
0: Yeah, I, it's, it's a really interesting conundrum because I've recently been underwriting a few deals in t- secondary markets that, you know, a, on an NOI should be, you know, at a, at a six and a half cap or a seven cap, they, they should be trading at, at X per door, but they're warning you know, 20, 30% high because of this locked in value add sort of so to speak and it's kind of dangerous where people particularly newbies are trying to get involved and in, i'm going to go buy a multifamily deal and i'm going to make all this money and i'm buying it a, a class c property at a, at a four and a half or five cap you know and, yeah. and, and it goes back to your what you said before on the fundamentals and the, the, the 30 000 foot level if you're getting interest rates at four and a half percent you have to have a minimum and this is my rule of thumb this is only what i think i'd love to know what you think 150 basis points in, in market cap rates or what you're picking the asset up at. Otherwise, you're not gonna cash flow. What, what, what would you say to that?
1: You know, I've never Reid, I've never looked at it that way. Um, but it would be interesting to, to look at it. I, my personally, how I in, um, look at my investments is I, I do a realistic uh, uh, pro forma based on current rent roll times 12. And then I look to see that it cash flows well, and it has to cash flow with a, you know whatever the interest rate is at that particular point in time and I want to see a minimum cash on cash return of five percent and If I can get five percent now, then i know uh, I expect that um, that over time rents are going to rise, and I, they don 't have to rise uh, you know that much i 'm expecting that my my, if I did an internal rate of return, that it would be uh, over a 10 year period, that it probably would do handsomely. But I start off with a minimum, what I want is I want to see a 5% return. And maybe I might, if I really like the property, and I know it has a lot of upside, I might even go down to 4%. Hmm. But it has to, it's a value added play, and it has to show that there's a lot of promise that uh, rents will increase in the next couple of years.
0: And, and for all those listeners out there, we, we're sort of saying very similar sort of things. You know, my whole cap rate versus interest rates, Doug's similar thing. He's, he's having a, a, essentially a cushion um, and, and, Doug, you can speak to this, the debt service ratio would mean that if you're 5% more, you get making 5% more money than the debt and the, um, the net op- uh, the operating expenses combined, so your NOI uh, plus your debt. Uh, we'll, we'll still have five percent more coming in and that will easily cover all that stuff and more uh, so you can you can you can hopefully sail safely if you do dip in a little bit of occupancy or anything like that look Doug I, I want I could talk to you for hours mate but I do want to respect your time I want to know a little bit more um, I'm going to dive into the top five investing tips Are you ready to get into it? Sure <laughs> Mate, we talked a little bit about habits before, uh, but tell me what is your daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
1: Well, I, I am a, a man of uh, habits. Um, that's who I am. My, my wife uh, rolls her eyes at all the various things that <laughs> I, I do on a regular basis, but I get up early. I have a, a, what I call a quiet time. I'm a, I'm a Christian and I, um, We'll spend uh, half an hour uh, reading the Bible and praying. But I'm also somebody that uh, is on a, um, uh, also works out every, I try to work out every, um, every lunchtime. I, the advantage of working for yourself is that you have, you can go, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And I I spend uh, almost two hours in the afternoon working out and Cry. Uh, keep physically fit. I know that if I'm not taking care of my body, nobody else, uh, is going to do it for me. And the the funny thing is, is I really don't enjoy doing it. There are people (laughs) that I, I envy at the, at the gym that really look forward to going to the gym to work out. And that isn't me. So, um, those are a couple of things I do. I could talk to you about my, you know, my, what I do for, uh, nutrition and and sleep and a variety of other things but i would bore you to death so i i think i'll pass on that
0: no well hey i'm i I, i'm all about that and it it takes being an entrepreneur as you know you got to take care as you said you got to take care of yourself first otherwise no one's going to take care of you for you and then if you can't take care of yourself how are you going to help others right how are you going to grow your yeah. business how, how are you going to have a mental state that it's great to be physically strong and everything but you also have the mental state that's well you have got to also eat well you have got to sleep well it, it, it's all it all takes all the all the rods in the fire to make sure the fire works so I um, absolutely, absolutely love it uh, mate that second question who is the most influential person in your career to date oh
1: boy i was i was Concerned you had asked this question, but um, if I had to do it over again, I would seek out mentors. Um, Unfortunately for me, when I was uh, uh, just out of college, the first 13 years uh, I was out of college, I had nine years where I was working for three different bosses that were awful to work for. They were um, highly competent, But but they had a trigger-like temper, and they uh, had no problems trying to bully you, and nothing you did ever was good enough. And during that period of time, as I say, they were highly competent in what they were doing. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself personally, trying to uh, just withstand the abuse. Uh, But I also learned a lot about the craft. I learned a lot about commercial real estate and especially on the financing side that I wouldn't have learned any other way it's kind of like uh, uh, I had three bosses that were like um, drill sergeants imagine having a drill sergeant for your your boss and I had that for 9 years so um, that by far affected me more
0: than anything else I've ever you know gone through that's I think that and that that person that experience i'm sure made you the man you are today right
1: it did. It did. And I wish I hadn't gone through it, but I did go through it. And because of it, a lot of uh, rough edges have been uh, have been uh, taken off, that's for sure.
0: Good. Good to hear. Mate, what is the most influential tool in your real estate business? It could be technology. It could be a piece of hard software. What? what so hard software, that doesn't make any sense. Hardware. <laughs> it could be a person. Um, what is the most influential tool?
1: Well, if I could, I'd like to give you three. Sure. I. I I've got a workhorse that I just absolutely love. And that is I've got a ScanSnap uh, scanner. Uh, by <laughs> it's a, it, I think it costs less than 200 bucks. And that, that particular little uh, uh, device has just saved me loads and loads of t- uh, time. It's a workhorse. And I, th- I think back to when I was scanning on my uh, Hewlett Packard uh, printer, you know, three-in-one printer. That is so slow and monotonous. And you can do so much on this little scan snap. I would highly recommend everyone get one. Scan snap.
0: Okay. Well, yep. Yeah, that's great. I'll write that down. Yes, yeah, so it's a scan snap
1: uh, XI500, is what I've got.
0: xi 500. Got it. Okay. And uh, awesome.
1: Secondly, I have um, an Apple Watch and I really love my Apple Watch. I have an iPhone, but if I like, I like to play golf and I go out, play golf, and all of a sudden I get a telephone call on my, my phone, is in my bag and I can't get to it. But it, it shows on my, on my wrist uh, who's calling. And most of the time, I just uh, ignore it. But occasionally, I, I, there's somebody I need to talk to. And so, I just tap on the phone and I can talk, you know, like, uh, you don't know Dick Tracy. He was a comic
0: a guy. I do. I don't okay, remember. <laughs> do.
1: So, I felt like, I feel like Dick Tracy. I can, t- I, and it comes in very clearly. I can hear them and they can hear me. And I really enjoy it. Wow. wow, that's awesome. It and is. you said you had a third one? In the third one. Um, I have become a, an Audible uh, fan. Ah. So I download Audible books onto my iPhone, and while I'm commuting uh, to and from work, I'm listening to a book. I'm a, uh, an avid reader, and I really enjoy this Audible app. It really is um, a good use of my time versus listening to the radio. You know, I, It's a much better use of my time.
0: I completely agree. I think those are great. So, Apple Watch, the scanner, and Audible app—I think they're all very, very highly, highly functioning apps or, or pieces of equipment that can help you function at the peak right of, of your business. Absolutely. Uh, uh, second last question: What has been the biggest failure in your career to date, and what did you learn from that failure? Failure. Yep.
1: Um, I had—I um, could answer that in a variety of different ways, but I, I had an investment. That I made, what I call my loser property. Mm-hmm. Just let you know, Reed, not everything I invest in, uh, you know, works. Uh,
0: <laughs> it doesn't all. It doesn't all turn to gold. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't all
1: turn to gold. Believe it or not, you know, it's a, I have to confess this to your your listening audience that, yep, there are things that don't work. And I, I had this property, and I'm, and I'm probably taking too long on it, but I learned four lessons, and I'll try to be real quick. That's about fine. It. Take your time. Oh, okay. Well, we we. Um, um, I I uh I got involved with a an investor group back in the summer of 2007 which was unfortunately the absolute peak of the real estate market uh, during the last cycle and we purchased this 32 unit apartment that was located in a small town and at the time it seemed like a really good investment it had large unit sizes there were one one story buildings it was located in a nice quiet little town and it had the potential down the road to convert to condos and Hey, yeah, I was thinking, what could go wrong? Well, it turned out a lot of things could go wrong, and, and, and most of them did. But, <laughs> um, you, know, it, uh, you know, I'm beating myself up. I, I honestly don't believe the most seasoned of uh, real estate investors could have uh, predicted anything, you know, any of these from happening. But, but to my great relief, we sold it a few years ago. And so, you know, from the vantage point of time, I, I realized I did, co- I did learn four things, and they were very important. And number one is market timing is everything. You know, the old adage, you make your money on investing when you purchase it, not when you sell it. That's really true. And uh, this property would have probably done very well if we'd have bought it a year or two earlier with a less inflated price. But because we bought it at a, a price that was just too much, uh, we it never had a chance. The second thing we learned is I learned why properties in small markets have higher higher cap rates. You know, it isn't You know, there's a a real good reason. And back in 2008, when the um, market went bust, economy went bust, uh, unemployment soared and vacancy rates rose and rents flattened or declined. Okay. And because it was concessions, they declined. And as bad as this was in the large metropolitan areas, it was far, far worse in the small towns. And this is where the property was located. It was in a small little town. And it had higher vacancy rates and struggled more uh, with the significant rent concessions in that market. And it took a lot longer for it. it took a couple years longer for it to turn around than the, than, uh, the Portland market did. And so there is a reason why, you know, people chase uh, cap rates and they say, oh, well, I'm going to go, you know, out to this little town. They forget that there's a reason why that. The other two, you never underestimate the cost of deferred maintenance. You think you have enough. And we never did. We, we underestimated it by far. And I'm sure the buyer thought you know, of our property thought, you know, all, we, all I need to do is to, uh, to make all the capital improvements that are necessary and this property will, you know, will really do well. We tried, we, we tried our best uh, to get all the deferred maintenance done and we still didn't catch up with it. And then I think the last thing, which you can learn in any property, doesn't have to be out in the hinterlands, but is uh, you need to pay close attention to your on-site manager. You know the old adage: "You get what you inspect, not what you expect," is very true. And because she was out there by herself, and it was kind of inconvenient to go back there, uh, we we didn't uh, keep good oversight on on the managers that we had there. We had three different managers over the over the years. We only had the property for like eight years, and they start out well, but as soon as you uh, stop looking at what they're doing and how well they're doing, the the uh, the performance of the property suffered. So uh, that's my fourth.
0: Uh, I think that that's, a, that's 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 <laughs> from really incredible lessons there. Just uh, market timing, obviously, buy when you when you make money when you buy. Uh, I think your second one was deferred maintenance. Yep. Uh, your third one was uh, making sure that you're you're investing in in state stable markets, not, not, not tertiary markets where you're trying to chase a cap rate because if you, in a down market, you're going to get hit with vacancies and concessions and all that sort of stuff. And I think yep. the last one, keeping, keeping your on-site, oh, sorry, oversight of your on-site management. So,
1: Absolutely. Now, we, you know, in, in truth, we still made a, um, a 7% internal rate of return on our money. Uh, we didn't lose any money, but during that period of time, the stock market was soaring. So in, in, in comparison, it was not a good investment, but right. you know, some you learn, uh, you learn lessons and that was uh, that property here. I, I learned a lot from owning this
0: property. Well, I'm sure a lot of my listeners will be able to get a lot more uh, lessons out of what you're teaching because they have, you have a book. So where can people reach you? Where can they go to find your book? They want to know a little bit more about you, want to get involved in your circle.
1: Absolutely. Uh, They can go to my website and we have a special landing page for uh, this podcast. So they can go to marshallcf.com. It's marshallcommercialfunding.com, but it's marshallcf.com forward slash read Goossens. And they can get uh, the opportunity to pre-order the book. It's coming out in uh, December. And so it's, it's a ways off. Uh, but if they they sign up today, there's a there is a a, a whole bunch of different um, uh, free uh, bonus um, spreadsheets and and information that they get by signing up today.
0: Well. Doug, we're going to have all that and more on in the show notes, but I think I'll have to get you back before December to tell me how the book's going before it launches. I think that would be a good little follow-up segue. But uh, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I just want to quickly summarize some of the things that I took away from today's conversation. I think the biggest one was, you know, making sure that you're you're, you're, the reason why we invest in in commercial assets is because of the control. The control aspect is very, very important. The second one is is cash flow. I really like what you said about, the, some of the things you've taken on board from your mentors, having a good thirty thousand foot level uh, overview of, of of your real estate portfolio and the assets you're buying. What does that mean, and how does it affect for the future? Um, and and don't get over leveraged uh, in, in in what you do in your financing world. And I think those four. My, those four takeaways from from that, that that bad deal that you you didn't you touch, but it didn't turn to gold. It turned to bronze. Maybe um, yeah. was 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 market timing. Uh, deferred. Watch your deferred maintenance. Making sure if you're going to chase cap rates in tertiary markets, got to be really understand what how that market's going to be affected in a downturn. And, and then finally, keeping uh, an oversight of your of your on site management. And I take it a lot of these takeaway points um, are in your book, correct?
1: Absolutely. All these and, and much more is in the book. So I would encourage people to, to take a look. I have a, a free download of a chapter so that they can, uh, if they think they might be interested, well, uh, click on the free download and, and read the first uh, chapter or so and see if they, they, they um, are interested in, in pursuing purchasing the book.
0: Fantastic. Well, Doug, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. Enjoy your rest of your week and we'll catch up soon.
1: Reed, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast
0: thank you very much absolute pleasure well there you have it another great episode jam-packed with some incredible investing advice and actionable tips there's some great takeaway points there please remember to go to, to my website readgoosters.com forward slash podcast click on all the links that we mentioned on today's show links to Doug's new book uh, and links to his personal website if you have any questions please hit Doug up uh, about any financing questions that you got with your multi-family or any commercial assets I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show and we're going to do this all again next week so take care be safe remember happy investing